guys. Welcome to Overcrest. I'm Chris. And I'm Jake. And we've got Monday's news and whatever else we feel like talking about <laughs> episode for you guys. Yeah, the etc. episode. Yeah, last week's episode was so uh, on Friday was so full that we just moved a bunch of stuff over here. We're starting to have so much stuff to talk about that we obviously, we just, as you know, we've branched out into having a couple episodes. So we've got a bunch of news for you. We're going to talk about a bunch of stuff that broke on my car, and we're going to talk Uh-oh. about uh, some other stuff. So, um, so what's going on with you? So, uh, I had it, so a couple things. Okay. I, so the, the, the Kilo guys came to the studio, and they're the guys that make the the cool Porsche keys. Yes. They came to the studio and visited and hung out, and we talked about you know the rally and everything else, and went and had a beer and talked about keys and Porsches and all kind just. You know, yeah, road so trips Jeff, and everything else. Jeff, one of the guys is from California. And so he had. Uh, That's Chris, right? I'm sorry. Chris yeah. is from California. Jeff is here and he got a 964. Basically, he acquired it for Chris. Yes. Or Chris bought it and he kind of facilitated that. And so I was able to drive Chris's 964, which is interesting. I had never driven a 964 they are, before. They're nice cars. They, it's a very yes. nice Car. Very nice. Yeah. Um, and this was the uh, career four as right. well. So, so I had Jeff in drive. my car and we went out and we ripped around a little bit and I did a huge drift around this corner. Okay. Just like a big whop, 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 just drift around the corner, <laughs> um, bouncing off the revel. I do it all the time. Yeah. And uh, which is why my tires are bald. I'm like, boy, I really, how did I go through these tires so fast? <laughs> yes. So uh, and it, right after that, I had a misfire. It's like, uh, 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 I'm like, oh, God. What oh, and did you notice that while you were driving on the way back? Immediately. Okay. And Jeff's looking at me like, dude, I'm like, I don't know. And, something? and it was like, there's like a little bit of a misfire. I'm like, oh my God, what's going on? So I parked it, didn't look at anything. I'm like, maybe it's hot. I don't know. Who yeah. knows? Maybe it's a fuel pump, whatever. So then we walked over, had a beer. I came back and I, and I popped the, the boot and I'm like, all right, what's going on? I had it running and I could hear like a little. And I know the sound because it, I've had bad coils on Volkswagens before. So it's a spark jumping. It's a spark leak. Oh, that's what they call it. It's a spark leak. Spark is is leaking. It's arcing somewhere, right? It's it's going through the boot or there's a bad coil. It's got a crack in it. I've never heard it a leak. Yeah, 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 it's basically arcing out somewhere. I used to hear it when you'd have like a VR6 and it would have a coil. Like instead of having individual coil packs, it would have the one big coil pack. Okay. And it would, and then all the spark plug wires would come out of that. Okay. So then it would crack over time and then spark would leak. And you would know because you could you could take a bottle of water and you could spritz the coil pack and you would see it sparkle, basically. <laughs> you know, you would see it and it would and it would arc and cause problems. Right. So I know the sound. I'm like, okay. So I took the Which first of all, I assume you were relieved. Okay, it's not mechanical. Well, like Yeah, in, in a way. I'm like, okay, I think it's a spark leak, right? I think okay. it is. I can hear yeah. the ticking. It doesn't sound mechanical. I'm like, okay, that's good. And then it means it's not my fuel pump, so it's spark related. So I took the cap off. I looked at the rotor. I'm like, boy, that thing's pretty dirty. So maybe I need to get a new one of those. Okay. And I'm thinking to myself, boy, all this stuff has like 50,000 miles on yeah, it or whatever. Yeah, it's already getting there, right? Yeah, it's just like, oh, my God. So it's time for a new cap, new rotor. I think I've replaced the rotor and cap once and okay. all the plugs once after like twenty or 30,000 miles. Okay. So then I'm, I'm pulling all this stuff. I put it back together. It's still like, and I'm like, well, okay, what is going on? And then I look in the back of the engine compartment and cylinder three spark plug wire is just like so the whole spark plug boot is just out, out. of the yeah cylinder. so it's it's arcing from the spark plug wire to the plug so inside so it's wow. one it's leaking or it's arcing to the engine yeah i'm one sure of the it was just grounding whatever's close so i'm like oh i'll just push it on and i try to push it on and it doesn't have like a there's no click there's no you don't feel it you don't feel it the the yeah you don't get the gratification that you're expecting when you are pushing that on there right okay well this spark plug wire is worn out so then i push it on and i'm like okay 
when I drive to the liquor store and I get out and it's worse again. So it had fallen off again. I'm like, man, that's weird. So I take the boot out, turn it and look. And the top of the spark plug wire that screws on. Yeah. So you can have either you can either have the 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 thin dealy on the top of the spark plug. Like, right, where it's just the thread. Just the thread. The, uh, the, the bulbous thing, the, right? The, the plug or whatever you sure. would call. That is in the spark plug wire. So it had unwound itself. <laughs> and which is weird because I these do get loose and it can cause problems. So I always okay. crimp them with the pliers. Yeah. And for some reason, it still walked off anyway. Huh. So I'm like, okay, well, I'll fix this. And I can't find... So now I can't find my spark plug wrench. And I can't get the stupid little thing out of yeah, the boot. Yeah, how do you get that out of the boot? I don't know. I can't get it out. It's stuck in there. You have to there. get the spark plug out and maybe use the spark plug to screw it in. That's what I was in, thinking. But right? I need to get the spark plug out first. And I lost my spark plug <laughs> wrench. I can't find it. I cleaned my garage trying to find it. Oh, it's like man. $80 for the, yeah, the factory or tool. Or you could just use the one I have with a perfect sized extension. The ex- here's the problem with the extensions is if you pull it out and your socket drops off. Extension. Yeah, I do too, but I like the factory tool, which is the correct length. And then you yeah. just put an Allen on the end and go right. dink and take it off. And it's, you know, it's the Klein tool. It's the correct it's tool. So I it. want to use the correct tool. Well, I didn't steal it. So anyway, that's what was wrong with my car. But I was also thinking of, so I was with the, the checked it out Chicago guys, which we're going to, which you heard from on um, last week's episode. Right. And my car was hot. It just runs hot whenever I beat the hell so, out of it. Because on your way back, you're, you're we talking went, about Yeah, we went on a little rally, you know, kind of yeah. part of the overcrest rally and went driving around. The car runs hot. Okay. And it's well, just. What is hot? Because I don't know how hot these as cars hot can as, run. If you keep going, you'll eventually seize the motor up. I'm saying, what is your coolant gauge showing? Well, coolant, zero. Coolant. It shows all, zero degrees. It's not a coolant gauge. Let's all make fun of Jake. That's not a coolant gauge. That is an oil temperature gauge. Yes. Okay. What is your oil temp showing? Thank you, Jake, for You're that welcome. eternal joke that will last for, for the rest. Yeah, just here for your entertainment. Yeah, that's some that's some guerrilla marketing for you right there. <laughs> okay. Um, so the car gets warm. So generally, I when I'm just cruising around, it's two ten. Okay. Which is fine. The thermostat opens at 190. Okay. And it hovers around 200 to 210 in whatever conditions. Doesn't matter how hot it is, as long as I'm just driving around. I, I've only seen 210 thrashing on mine. So here's the deal is if I beat the hell out of my car, first of all, I've got much higher compression than you. Oh, I know. I'm probably running more timing advanced than you are. Okay. Yep. So it's a little bit different of a motor. I've got more displacement. I'm generating more heat in the yeah. same system. But you don't have a forward oil cooler. Right. I do. Correct. And my engine so is still running hot. It should be running it should, cooler. It should be running cooler. But he'll, here's the deal. I, I asked uh, Marco from TLG Auto. I'm like, hey, yeah. man. And I've been talking to him about this for a while. And he's like, sometimes they just run warm, especially if you're flogging on them. He's like, I start paying attention at 230 degrees. I start mm. worrying at 240. And I turn it off at 250. Well, that's good to know. Because he knows what he's talking he about. He knows what he's talking about. I've had the car at 250 degrees before. But I'm just like, I don't care. I'm having fun. And I've, you know, I've put the car through its many different paces okay. and it's, and it still doesn't burn what, any oil. What type of driving can you do if you're at 250? Because turning it off to me, you know what, just sounds, stopping, just, you know, what I do is when it gets, because then you don't have any, it's cool, not, you I should have not just said stop. It's, we're talking colloquially here. You're okay, just, okay, you okay. just stop what you're right, doing. Because if you were at 250 and turn the car off, that's, that's not also good. bad for it. That would also be bad. So what I would usually do is I would just coast okay. and just let the fan run while you're driving, which cools the car off really fast so just basically clutch in idle and just coast, coast. yep and that cools the car off really fast it. i got you yep so that works really great but i will get 230 240 and if i keep pushing the car hard it'll it, keep going it'll keep going so i'm like what's going on and he's like hey you know 
have you thought about rebuilding your distributor? What? And I'm like, no, I haven't thought about rebuilding your distributor. I guess there's bushings in there that wear out. Okay. And the timing will move around. And if your timing retards too much, okay. you'll actually uh, get heat soak in your in your on your pistons. No kidding. And it f- caused from the from the from the ignition, you know, firing too. Uh, yeah, I suppose. So it's 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 I just I never would have thought of that. Yeah, so that's can be a problem. And here's how I know that maybe that could be a problem. Okay. Is I don't get detonation when it's really really hot. Which it you should would detonate. To see. It should detonate more huh. when it's really really hot. So Otherwise, your timing is retarded. May, well, I don't know what it's doing. So I got to check that bushing and pull no, that Chris, apart. It's, it's pretty retarded. <laughs> yes, that's not for politically that's correct not nice. at all. I do have a very nice timing light you can borrow. I also have a timing light. Is that a nice one? It's well. Do yours, does yours have advance? Yeah, I don't have one with advance. I don't need the. I know I've got it marked. I don't. It's not. Yeah, I know. And it's. I'm just going to rebuild the distributor, and I'm also going to replace the 28 row brass oil cooler that I've got in the front of the car, which Porsche got rid of anyway. Because over it time, wasn't efficient. Because it wasn't good enough. Sure. So I need to buy some stupid thousand thirteen hundred dollar everything aluminum everything's a thousand mini radiator everything's a thousand dollars can't you use some other non-porsche part for a small radiator like that like what i'm sure there's some other part out there everything it's got to fit in the fender well and it's got to mate up to my factory lines do which, an irock front bumper and just do the whole front thing no, just be a big oil cooler that is also a thirteen hundred dollar oil cooler <laughs> i believe it so i'm I've, this is something i've been fighting with since i bought the car the, I, re- I remember temperature the temperature fir- issue. Yeah, I remember. Really? I remember when I first got it. I was like, "Man, this thing's running really." So that's what makes me go, "Hmm," because this is before I even had a Ford oil cooler on the car. The thing would oh. run hot. Okay, that makes sense. Now these seventy twos have a different oil tank setup. Do they use the same volume of oil? Uh, that I I imagine it's similar. Um, I guess another problem with the seventy two is that the oil cooler is in front of the wheel instead of behind the wheel in the rear, so it doesn't get any airflow at all. Hmm. Um, which can be uh, which can be problematic. But here's the thing: is I'm, I was like, I like that new word you just made up. Troublematic. Trouble. Troublematic. <laughs> I was driving across. Um, I think I was driving to Sowo actually, okay. and, I, and I was like, man, this thing is really hot. I don't understand why it's so hot. This is the first experience I had with this. It's my first summer with the car. Okay. So I go to the dealership. I'm like, hey, can you put this thing up on your hoist and look and see if all the the cooling uh, fins are just full of junk and oil. I just I didn't know. Right. You know, I hadn't really looked. I don't really know what's going on. So we looked. No, that was fine. And well, maybe the gauge isn't reading correctly. So I go over yeah. to AutoZone. I get the little pyrometer, sure. the little okay. laser yeah, yeah. thing. And I'm looking through the rear window. I'm like, okay, it says it says 210. And then I point the stupid pyrometer at it. It's like 210.5. I'm like, wow. Where are you measuring off of? The Right on top of the temperature sensor. Oh, I suppose. Right there. And it was, it could not have been more accurate than it was. I'm like, well, I guess that's not the problem. So I've been dealing with this forever and I'm just tired of it. So yeah. maybe I just need Interesting. to, I'm going to check the distributor. I'm going to check the thermostat. I'm going to take the thermostat yeah, out. I suppose that could be something else. If the thermostat isn't opening, it doesn't matter if you have a front oil cooler. Right. So I'm going to, you know, I thought about taking the thermostat out completely, Yeah. but you can't because the, the oil weight is so thick that the oil pressures are high that you don't want to be sending that kind of oil pressure into the cooler. Apparently. Oh, oh, running the car without the thermostat. Right. I, I thought you were just talking to take it out and diagnose it. No, yeah. You, yeah. Well, you, you, don't, you just don't want to run the car without yes. the thermostat because it's 60 weight oil, which is really, really high pressure when you're just sure. starting. Out. I you don't you want to. You just don't want to do that, I guess. Is the theory. Yeah, I would be wary now that you mentioned it of your, your thermostat. 
Yeah, so it, it's the original thermostat, I think. But those things just typically don't fail. Anyways, well, that's my 10-minute story about all the crap that's wrong <laughs> with my car. Uh, I got a late birthday present from you, which I really enjoy. Yeah, so anyone that's following Chris on Instagram, on social media, he's been building this old-school Nixie tube yep. clock, which uses, instead of digital readout, it is still a digital readout, but it uses tubes. And it's awesome. I saw him building it the whole time, and I was like, "I really hope this is my gift." And it I'm was. gonna be really disappointed if it isn't. <laughs> and so, uh, that's all the t- awesome. all I the time that, that I put man. onto it into it is a representation of how much I appreciate you and what you do on the podcast. But enough sappy stuff. Um, let's get to a little bit of news. What Go you, for oh, wait, it. you got here? GM idler pulley bearings suck. Yeah. What does that mean? It means that I had a squeak up in the Hummer and around the serpentine belt area. And I go up there and I get my wrench because I'm pretty damn sure it's the idler pulley again. And so I move that a little bit. You know, you can adjust it. And sure enough, it gets worse. Do you think that there was at one point there's a guy because the word Hummer didn't always exist. It was Humvee first. Sure. Do you think there was a guy like in the army that was home on leave and he's getting a blowjob and just goes Hummer Humvee? Yeah, I'm going to call it this. And then it just stuck. Why is it called a Hummer? What is the deal with that? I don't know, Chris. We got to find this out. It's an important. I don't think it is. Well, that's what a Hummer generally is. When you think about that in your teenage years, you're like, oh, Hummer, this is great. But Which then I don't like, understand what's the, what's your, where's the humming coming from? I don't know if this is where <laughs> I don't want to get into it too much. Anyways, so I'm going to think go back about to what my I'm saying. Story, okay. And then think about humming. Sure. Okay. Anyways, I'm getting back to my story. So uh, sure enough, it's the idler pulley. And the thing that pissed me off about these is I've replaced this probably three times in the five years I've owned the truck. Okay. So I don't know if just if it's something with the position where it gets all the gunk in it or what, but it's always, you know, I get like the AutoZone whatever one year warranty and it's always right exactly after one year that it goes out again and starts squeaking. <laughs> Designed so, obsolescence. Yeah, that sucks. I also have a rev limiter on yeah, my car. I saw that. of distributors. And I didn't realize how much more fun it is with a rev limiter because now it's just pedal in it until you hear bop, bop, bop. Well, yeah, well, now you don't have to worry. Yeah, That's... I'm always usually looking at the tack and pulling out, you know, right. right. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, on to news. All right, let's let's uh, let's do a little bit of news. So last week, you might have heard our interview with, or the week before last, with yes. Jim Miro, the ride and handling engineer over at Chevy in the Corvette department. Correct. Um, the episode really made... Really made the rounds. It ended up on a multiple news sites, forums, Facebook, Instagram. Yeah. And everybody was talking about it. What they were talking about was most articles really zeroed in on him saying that he was worried about the mid-engine Corvette. Right. With titles like, why a retired Corvette engineer worries about the mid-engine C8 Corvette. <laughs> and they're all, so the, the, it comes out on July 18th. So it's yes. like, it's it's timely. It is prime time for for everybody to find drama and sappy. Oh, yeah. Or I guess not sappy. What am I thinking about? Juicy. Yeah. Juicy stories about that. Um, so he actually uh, went on his blog and um, had, a, had, to, had to make an official response because it was so, I mean, it was on, it was all over the place. Yeah, people were taking it out of context and it was getting dramatic. So. Basically, um, do you want, should I read some of it? Yeah, read the read the highlights there. All right. So he says, originally, I was just going to keep my mouth shut relative to reports about my comments on the mid-engine platform in general and the challenges the C8 will need to overcome to be the best vet yet. I believe those who have listened to both podcasts, and he was on another podcast as well, both podcasts realized that in my mind, every generation of Corvette was better than the generation before and the C8 will be no different. Now, that was my takeaway. Right. My, my takeaway was that he was kind of 
um, sympathizing with the feelings that everybody's having. Uh, yes, but he, exactly. But in the same episode, he did say it's going to be the best one yet. They wouldn't have done it if it wasn't going to be. Right. And I think, but of course, you know, news. That's not what people want to sensationalize. That, that, that's right. <laughs> um, but but it was interesting to hear his honest opinion, for yeah. sure. Um, he says, on the Overcrest podcast, I will admit I could have used a better word than worried. But in an interview, you can't cut and paste. Naturally, I listened to the podcast several times until yesterday and had no idea it would generate so much publicity. I'll try to go through my thought process at the time of the Overcrest podcast, then forever hold my peace. And basically, he just talks about, you know, him driving the C7 and, and his experiences with that. And I guess some people got upset about his golf club statement, which is <laughs> silly. Um, anyway, so that's 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 that. You so if what? you want yeah. to read the full response that he had, it's in the show notes. Um, I sympathetic sympathize with everything he said. And I think I'm worried, too. And so is everyone else. So yeah. I think everybody can relate to what Jim was saying. Absolutely. Um, next in news is that the Supreme Court is out for blood. With what? Yeah. So the Supreme Court made a bunch of terrible decisions today, per usual. But this one is uh, this one's this one's interesting. Okay. So the Supreme Court has ruled that police may, without a warrant, order blood drawn from an unconscious person suspected of driving under the influence of alcohol. Oh wow! So actually, out for blood. Yes. <laughs> so basically, uh, um, huh. well, the Fourth Amendment generally requires police to obtain a warrant for a blood draw because it is, obviously it's a huge invasion of privacy. Correct. Right. Um, but in a 5-4 vote on Thursday, the court upheld a Wisconsin law that says people driving on a public road have implied consent to having their blood drawn if police suspect them of driving under the influence. It is also said that exigent circumstances prevent or permit police to obtain a blood sample without a warrant. Now, exigent circumstances are basically an unusual and time sensitive circumstance that justifies conduct that might not be permissible in usual, okay. usual proceedings. That right? seems like a slippery slope. Exigent circumstances. <laughs> exigent circumstances would be like, hey, someone's screaming in that house. I'm going to kick the door down gotcha. and go in. Don't need a warrant because someone is in there screaming. Exigent, gotcha. That that type of thing. Yep, that makes sense. Um, Justices Samuel Alito, Clarence Thomas, Stephen Breyer, Brett Kavanaugh joined Chief, Chief Justice Just John Roberts in the majority vote. And, and I just went away from the decision conflicts with previous court rulings, which justices ruled that a blood draw is significantly significant bodily intrusion into a person's privacy. In 2013, for instance, the high court ruled that the police violated the Constitution when they ordered a non-consensual blood draw without a warrant in a routine DUI case. The vote was then five to four as well. Uh, blah blah blah. This so what's is, the difference? Um, so okay, so it, this has to do with a uh, a law in Wisconsin, I guess. Okay. Um, let's see here. Of course, it's Wisconsin. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, the constitutional rights case proves four opinions: two concurring and two in dissent. In a break with his conservative benchmates, one of these dissents came from Justice Neil Gorsuch. He's the one of the new justices yep. uh, appointed by Donald Trump. The opinions reflect a deep divide over an essential question: whether the Wisconsin case should be decided on a base of implied consent or on the question of what kind of emergencies allow for an exception to Fourth Amendment protections. Mm-hmm. Uh, Alito's concurring opinion agreed that speed is vital in obtaining blood alcohol evidence, but he also said that demands on police officers' time contribute to creating exigent circumstances that allow an exception to warrant requirements. Indeed, not only is the linked, uh, let's see, this is really like, I'm trying to skip the legalese. No, I understand um, that. I guess I'm just, in what instance are you finding someone, are they like p passed out on the side of the road? Did they come to a crash and then they're passed out? Like, I... I, I'm not sure. 
the, the case, which was argued in April, involved a man. Here's the case. Yeah. So you can understand. Involved a man named Ger- Gerald Mitchell, who was found by police near his van along the shore of Lake Michigan. One of Mitchell's neighbors had called the police to report that he was drunk and suicidal and that he had, and that she had watched him get into his van and drive away. Okay. After police found him walking near the lake, they administered a breath test and drove him to a hospital for a blood draw. Mitchell passed out in the car, and by the time the group arrived at the hospital, he was unresponsive. At that point, police ordered hospital personnel to draw a blood sample. I gotcha. After that, the test showed his blood alcohol to be 0.2, roughly 90 minutes after his arrest. Roughly 90 minutes after his arrest. Yeah, so he was there. drunk. Um, he was charged and convicted of driving while intoxicated. Right. I, uh, they had the breath test, though, so they didn't even need to do the blood draw. I, Yeah, I don't know. I don't know what the, the deal was there. Know. So um, the, the just so the only dissent or Gorsuch dissent was we took this case to decide whether Wisconsin drivers and imp- imp- impliedly wow the legalese is brutal right. here. basically because you're driving on the road are you giving consent to to this that's basically what it is this law helps protect communities from impaired drivers we are pleased that the united states supreme court has upheld a wisconsin law that promotes public safety and there's 28 states that have a law similar to this so oh, so it's not you know out of the ordinary not really but it's okay. kind of an interesting you know do you obviously you don't why do, don't only, drive drunk and then pass right. out and you don't have anything to worry about is right. is kind of the moral yes. of of the story um next in news is uh the wide body is is still a thing the 2020 <laughs> dodge charger wide body looks Which, meaner and corners harder i i don't i like this first of all I think this thing does look very mean. I don't consider this a quote wide body. It's I, not like they bolted on fender flares or well, so you have to bolt on flares for no, something to be a I wide body. Know. I just when it's, you're like, oh, I guess wide bodying is still a thing that looks wide body to me. When you look at the pictures, that looks significantly wide body. The new look widens the sedans by three and a half inches and includes a host of performance upgrades. Um, the 2020 Dodge Challenger SRT Hellcat now features standard wide body kit. Um, and it's optional on the RT Scat Pack. Dodge okay. claims the wide body enhancements make the 2020 Charger stickier and quicker on a racetrack than the model it replaces. And it still makes 707 horsepower. So there is a red eye package. Do you know about this? You can I've get heard about just it. Just on the standard um, Hellcat. It doesn't have to be the Demon, which was a limited run. Yeah. So the red eye package gets you up to like 797 or something, <laughs> which is just awesome. So here's my question. This is what I wanted to actually get to is why doesn't Ford just make the Shelby GT500 708 horsepower? Why did they? Why don't they just... Can't we just have a horsepower, good old horsepower brawl, please? I think we're getting there. Are we? Because that thing has 650 or 647 or whatever it is. Why can't we have a Ford with 708 horsepower? And then we can have the Red Eye come out with 797. And then the Corvette, whatever something it has... I mean, I guess I don't follow it close enough, but... Horsepower isn't everything either. Like, how heavy is this car versus, you these, know, the Ford? These Ford. are American cars we're talking about. What do you mean horsepower isn't everything? <laughs> You're right. Come okay. on, man. Horsepower is everything. Horsepower what I love is about everything. This car, listen to this. The rubber measures 305.35 on 20 by 11 rims on all four corners. Sticky. That's a square setup. That's massive. 11 inch wide wheels in the front. Yeah. Well, that's what the wide body gets you. It's three and a half inches wider than it it was before. There you go. So BMW's new electric car will be well composed. Mm -hmm. (laughs) As cost comes down and range goes up, the two biggest rational handicaps for electric vehicles are fading away. Not sure about that. But the issue of noise or the lack thereof remains. 
BMW's answer to new safety requirements is to get help from Hollywood composer Hans Zimmer. Wait, okay. Who collaborated on the soundtrack for the automaker's Vision M Next concept, uh, which is that you can, it's in the so, show notes, you can look okay. it up. The goal is to create harmony between the driver and the electronically deliver, deliver, driven vehicle, according to BMW. And if there's anyone qualified to create passion through sound, it's Hans Zimmer. The composer and producer won an Oscar for the score to Lion King. His long list of credits include adrenaline-packed films such as The Rock, Gladiator, and Days that, of Thunder. That's cool. I don't, I don't care. Zimmer, Zimmer is credited with the sound technique Blam, in which a major plot point is revealed and the music blasts out <laughs> a single note loudly. Actually, yeah, he like remember Inception? Wasn't that Hans Zimmer? Where it's like, bum, yeah. Like, yeah, yeah. Well, it's, like, it's that's what they're talking about. So, th- so you're gonna be driving your BMW. You turn on your turn signal. Here's the question: Are you are you going to be able to uh, adjust the sound that your car, your electric car, makes? At some point, I'm sure that will be an option. Or how is this that. sound going to be emitted? Oh, it's speakers. Obviously. So there's gonna be outdoor speakers. Yeah, chassis your- speakers. It's gonna be yeah. On, I I hate it. But it's going to, I think it's a legal Nissan Leaf has uh, speakers. It's a legal requirement. They have to make noise. Have you ever listened to like a Leaf drive by you? They go like, no. Yeah. Like they, there is already this technology out there, but it's not engineered. It just (sighs) sounds like a, well, I can't wait to hear uh, the sound of Hans Zimmer. I wish there there was was the Hans Zimmer track pack. (laughs) Come on. I wish there was a way somehow that electric motors would make some inherent noise that sounds cool that could then be amplified. That's functional. Something. I don't know. Put a cooling fan on these things or something that like has a nice sound to it that's functional. All you have to do is get speakers and have Hans Zimmer make the sound of your car. (sighs) I know. Which I'm sure BMW lovers will love it. Oh, it's the engine. Would you hear well, that? Okay. How, you, this excuse is, me, sir. Do you hear that? He's, he's taking his wife out for the test drive for the very first time. Hey, honey, you hear that? That's Hans Zimmer. Oh, this is it here's the problem. Stupid. This is not this big of a leap for BMW because they already pipe an engine noise in like the M5. Yeah, it's it's all right? it's this all isn't fake. any different. It's all fake. It's all just a big giant ruse. <sighs> you know what isn't fake? What? Ferrari 250 GTO. The Ferrari 250 GTO is a work of art. Literally. Literally. Um, An iconic Ferrari has been recognized by an Italian court as a work of art in an unprecedented judgment that will protect it from uh, reproductions and imitations. Oh, really? Yes. Now, here's a question. Isn't every car a work of art? Theoretically, isn't its design and its shape and everything, isn't that a work of art? Doesn't it start? Regardless of that, doesn't it have trademarks associated with it? You know what well, I mean? If I this is about protections between, you know, reproductions, does isn't that it, does that expire in some way though? Maybe. Does like a trademark on a design, like a patent or yes. something, does that expire? Yes, I'm sure it does. So, but here's the question: I think every car is a work of art, whether it's good or bad. I mean, there's mm. bad art. I could, I could. Yeah, but I, I would, I disagree. I understand what you're saying. I disagree that every car is a work of art. That'd be like saying every refrigerator is a work of art. Well, what's the difference? It's a functional piece of thing that is designed. Is design art? Not all the time. No. Okay, so we have to. Where can we draw the line? So, what cars are art and what cars are not? That's so. 
subjective. Okay, so how do we decide now that this has been? Are this, we getting we another conversation about what's cool now? What's art based no, on our? No, we're talking. <laughs> I'm just trying to figure out what defines art. Is the Yugo GV art the cheapest car ever sold? Is that car art? Probably not. Why? <sighs> Hold on. Art is defined as a diverse range of human activities in creating visual, auditory, or performing artifacts expressing the author's imaginative, conceptual ideas or technical skills intended to be appreciated for their beauty or emotional power. Okay, so we can take away, so we can go, okay, what was the original intent of this car? Right. So we can look at the Yugo and go, okay, this car was designed as a cheap, a cheap function-only people mover. So we can say that uh, cars as art is cars that aren't made for general transportation. Can we say that? Yes. However, there are cars that are made for general transportation that are beautiful. I know, that's the problem. So it's it's how where, where does this precedent end? I don't know. Yeah, because the expression or application of human creative skill and imagination, like that is basically any car design. The, the original guy that sat down and drew, drew the Yugo for the very first time, he, yeah. he cared. He put, his, sure. he put his time in it and his talent and his skill. So by that, it's yeah, I don't all think art. you're going to be able to. But here's the thing with your it, refrigerator comment. Nobody's trying to recreate uh, an old refrigerator and resell it on the market. They should because old refrigerators say, are, are I've awesome. Seen, yeah, like... Some of the guys restoring those. Okay, so is someone taking the old GE refrigerator with the big GE logo on the front and the big pull handle? <laughs> yeah. Is someone uh, recreating those on the side and being like, okay, I'm going to bring this back? And they have an exact design that says GE on it. Should GE be upset? Probably. Probably, because it's their design. It's their concept. It's what they originally came up with. Right. And you are stealing it. Yeah, no, I okay, don't so, disagree with um, that. The Ferrari 250 GTO is acclaimed as the world's most valuable classic car, with one example being so- sold at auction last year for $48 million. <laughs> Regarded as the holy grail of classic cars, just 36 of the models were made between 1962 and 1964, of which 36 are believed to survive, and each now has its own unique history. So the Ferrari 250 GTO... SWB short wheelbase. Were the, well, were all GTOs short wheelbases, or is that a subset of these GTOs that do, are I, short wheelbase that are even more valuable? I do not know the answer to that question. I bet you, you can look can it up tell while, me I, while you're going to go. Yeah. So, an Italian commercial tribunal in Bologna, Bologna, has recognized the model not only as a classic but as a work of art that is entirely original and must not be imitated or reproduced. It's the first time in Italy that a car has been recognized as a work of art. A Ferrari spokesperson from the company's headquarters in Marinello in northern Italy said, it's not just its beauty that makes it special. It also has a long racing history. That's I don't think because you have racing history, it's art. No. So now we're kind of bleeding off value. That's not art. The judgment was handed down by the tribunal um, after Ferrari complained that a company in the northern city of Modena was planning to reproduce 250 GTO replicas. Hmm. Ferrari lodged a petition to have the design and intellectual property rights of the classic car officially recognized. The court ruled that the customization of the car's lines and synthetic elements have made the 250 GTO unique and a true automobile icon. The car's artistic merits have been recognized by numerous awards and official testaments. The production, commercial, commercialization, and promotion of the model belongs solely to Ferrari, the tribunal said. Classic car dealers in the past have tried to reproduce 250 GTOs by cannibalizing parts and bodywork from other similar-looking models. Blah, blah, blah. Um, so 
here's the deal is I want to okay, correct go, my you go, go ahead. ahead. I was going to say that um if you were a guy who bought a fake 250 GTO replica thing mm-hmm. it's depending on how you do it it's almost like just buying buy the Mona Lisa a fake one and hanging it in your right. in your house and be like Behold, pretty sweet, huh? Behold, pretty the Mona sweet. Lisa in all its yeah. glory. Come on, man. Yeah. Get a painting that is real, that you can appreciate, that you love, just like cars. If you can't afford a Ferrari 250, get a Mustang. Get something else that you like. Right. Find something that you can be passionately in love with. And if you really want a 250 GTO, get a, get a print made and hang it on the wall of your garage. Aspirational love of cars is something that's important. And you shouldn't just be able to have whatever you want. This isn't car communism where you can just have everything that you always want to have so i was thinking of the ferrari 250 gt short wheelbase okay the gto is the homologation it's the italian word for homologation oligotico or something like that okay that's the one where they don't have to signify short wheelbase all right so next in news the ford gt or the ford f250 gets a tremor pack tremor yeah tremor pack have you ever seen or heard of this movie and no one knows what to call it. Megaworms or suckers or, or suckoids. Now, this valley is just one long smorgasbord. Now, it's up to Val and Earl to save the world. <laughs> That's one big mother. Who died and made you Einstein? And they know just what to do. Flip for it. Damn. Kevin Bacon, Fred Ward, and Reba McIntyre. Tremors. That's right, Reba McIntyre. the crazy guy with all yeah. the like, ammunition and stuff. They're under the ground. They're under the ground. And that's that's basically. So the movie. Remember the girl it, with the pogo stick? No. Yeah, she was in the middle of the town on a pogo stick with headphones on, and, and they're like, he... "No!" And Kevin Bacon runs across the street, and <laughs> tackles her right as the thing, the tremor guy comes up out of the ground. You know, um, I may have to have to edit this out of the podcast because it's totally inappropriate. Okay. But you know what, my wife calls uncircumcised penises. <laughs> <laughs> what tremors? Yeah, <laughs> Says okay. they look like tremors, I which really is like that, which actually. is absolutely absolutely oh, true. Okay. Um, so the uh, the Ford hasn't released performance numbers for its Super Duty just yet, but said the truck will boast better towing and payload specs, blah, than the Ram Power Wagon. Sure. Um, blah blah blah. Six point four liter V eight, eight speed automatic versus Ford's V or its 10-speed. Um, key upgrades of the Tremor off-road package include upgraded suspension, off-road running boards, and it can tunnel underground. <laughs> Doubtful. <laughs> but so, it, it does have a rock crawl mode, which you'll presumably need to be running away from. The Tremors. The Tremors. So this is just the Raptor on the 250. It seems like right? it. it seems and like I was it. following a Ram, uh, what is it, the Renegade on the way here? Right? Isn't okay. that Ram's version of the the Raptor, and then Chevy has another one, too. I, they're all doing the special off-road package. All right. So um, BMW feels <laughs> bad. I think I think the, I, th- <laughs> I think the uh, I think the Internet has hurt BMW's feelings. Oh, no. um, BMW said it expected a massive backlash to its dominating graceless seven series grill long before it brought it to market. Did it say graceless? Uh, it says it here. In okay, the, that's not from BMW. No. <laughs> admitting he had noticed and been hurt by the criticism of the enormous girl, which has sparked countless memes on the internet and social media, <laughs> BMW design chief, wait for it, Adrian Van Huydonk. <laughs> 
So, Mr. Hui Donk, you have to be used to being made fun of. <laughs> this guy should have some thicker skin. Yeah. Adrian Van Hui Donk uh-huh. says he understands why both buyers and the design community had been shocked. Hui Donk says it's a more oh. it's a mo- it's more a seven series discussion than anything else, and the backlash is more or less the same as we expected. The Dutch designer. Hui Donk said <laughs> the X7 was launched at the same time, and that's why it's thrown into that discussion. But the X7 grill is proportional to the size of the vehicle. Right. It's debatable. 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 Proportional. It's under debate. Well, yeah. Okay. All More the, proportional the, than this. All the cars in that segment are quite big. Uh, in his defense, Van Hui Donk insisted the uh-huh. car struck an awkward note because of the original design brief and because of the different customer priorities around the world. Basically, the Chinese love this. Oh, is, is, is my guess. Okay. Um, so it's funny. There's photos here in the article. It is. And so, you know, the first one is the car. The second one is a over exaggerated meme of it. The third one, I couldn't tell if it was a meme or the real car. That's the that's real car. How bad it is. It, it is pretty bad. The briefing we got was to make sure people understood the difference between the five and the seven series. When we launched the <laughs> seven series, it was quite smaller. The feedback we got on it was that the people couldn't see enough difference from the predecessor oh on the seven i understand that people can be shocked i noticed the criticism i think in a way it's inevitable my objective is to do something that everybody likes but it's just not possible 40 percent larger kidney grill it's 40 percent larger than the outgoing one the seven has always been the hardest to bring the expectation of the entire world into one shape the customers are very very different in china the u.s the middle east and europe in europe people don't want to get noticed they don't like being asked what they paid for a car and they like things in the in black like a stealth mode the rest of the world is opposite. We try to give the Europeans what they want as well, but the strongest market for the seven is not Europe. What? How hard would it be to make hard. just a separate hard a separate grill and a separate bumper and a separate hood and, and separate, separate, separate headlights? Yeah, you could mold with the headlights in to make it work. No, you couldn't. Look at the headlights on there; they're curved. They just perfectly match the grill exactly where they yeah, are. Yeah, just make the grill like shorter, just as wide, but shorter would still look fine. It says, uh, for the next Generation 7, our job will become slightly easier. It's usually only in the 7 that these tastes are diverging so much. The production has ramped up since the facelift. There's happy people at the factory because we're producing more cars now than before the facelift in the first place because they're sending a million of these things to China. So it's I think it's funny that they... If the internet he hurt his feelings. The internet has hurt his feelings. <laughs> so we got a letter from one of our listeners. His name is yes. RJ, and he's a helicopter pilot, I, which is the I coolest shot. Ar- I've never met him. But he looks like an awesome dude. For some reason, he all, he'll he'll send me messages. Says, hey, what are you doing right now? And I'll send him a message. And for some reason, I'm always pooping. <laughs> so I send him a message of my my pants around my ankles at my feet, and I'm like, this is what I'm doing. And he always sends a picture back of him out on some. You know, he he Amazing. is from uh, Just, uh, it's Alaska, right? Well, he is in um, he's in northwest or western Canada. I forget. I think it's Red Deer, Alberta. Is I think okay. is where where okay. he is from, but he actually travels over to Alaska, and he's always you know he's a basically a private pilot. So sure. people hire his company, and then they they fly around. He's always got these amazing. He's like, hey, here's a glacier. So he's looking at a glacier, <laughs> and I'm looking at my ankles. Yeah. So it's always this amazing, amazing thing. So um, he always sends me really, really great photos, and uh, he says he'll give me a helicopter ride someday. So I got to get up sweet. there. It's the entire reason I want to go to the Arctic Circle is just so I can drive by CRJ and go for a helicopter ride. Yeah, I like that. Would be really anyway. So he wrote us a letter. Um, and it's really, really nice handwritten letter it says, I thought you'd enjoy some what you were off your mic. Oh, sorry. Um, I thought you got, you'd enjoy some little models for the studio or pocket travelers because take the car. 
Jake, I recall Chris telling you you not to put gold wheels on your orange car, so of course I put gold wheels on it. <laughs> Love listening to the iPod cat. The, the podcast and seeing the photos of the adventures. I hope you enjoy my small tokens of gratitude. Thank you for all your hard work. RJ from in sometimes okay, Canada. <laughs> so RJ, these are awesome. Basically these look, I'm RJ's really, really crafty. And I think what he did is he took the Magnus Walker hot wheels, nine 11 yep. and made a casting of it. Correct. And then made a new one. And mine is blue and mine is orange and yours is orange. And they're, they're, they're awesome. rad. This is what color wheels does your app. Mine has like a, uh, like a gray, like a gray okay. wheels. You do Minor have gold. You do yeah, have yeah. gold wheels yeah. on there. <laughs> yeah, these are That's these really are great. Cool. This is one of the. We'll this post one of the these things. online as well. Yeah, we'll t- we'll post some pictures of it. On that note, um, wh- what you just raised your hand like you got something to say. No, I was just gonna say yeah. Thank you, RJ. We appreciate that, and you know we appreciate all you guys, our listeners. Be sure to head over to iTunes and leave us a review. Uh, also, Patreon. Patreon. Yep, patreon.com slash overcrest. I posted some pictures up. We've got a couple of the top tier sponsors now, and we posted some pictures of their prints. They're awesome. One of them, I really want to keep it. Well, just get another print of it. I will. I will probably actually do that because I really, really like it. Anyway, on that note, guys, we will see you on Friday. Thanks. Take care.